Welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life here in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is our Out of the Park podcast series. Today we welcome Dr. Lorraine Brew, guest artist in residence at Pinnacle Presbyterian Church as organist and choral director. Lorraine is a retired professor of music from Valparaiso University in Indiana, where she currently serves as adjunct professor of theology. Today, Lorraine is exploring global music, its background and uses in worship. Welcome, Lorraine. Greetings. I'm happy to speak with you today about my own interest in global song, how I came to uh, be interested in the topic, and some background for the church to uh, understand why it is that global song is so important in our times. Uh, I was introduced to Global Song through a friend, professor, who went and visited a church music school in Tanzania. And when he returned, he came back with some new learnings about how uh, our song is organized and especially the, the role that rhythm plays in African song. The movement of global worship and sharing resources between churches has several reasons for it. The first is certainly the reforms of the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, in which liturgical song uh, it became immediately um, available to use indigenous and vernacular languages. And um, the documents in encouraged participation for the whole community, not just for the clergy. These reforms then were quite earth-shattering for the Roman Catholic Church, and those changes then sprinkled out to the Protestant churches as well. For example, in North America, from the beginning, the Roman Catholic bishops invited both ecumenical partners and interfaith partners to pair with them in crafting new language for hymns and liturgies and for exploring what is appropriate for worship. So the first musical example I'm going to play for you is really a result of the Vatican II reforms. This is um, a Kyrie, which is the, one of the first major liturgical songs in the Roman Catholic Mass. And it is sung here in Greek, which is what the Kyrie is, but it is uh, added to it now is indigenous instrumentation from the Caribbean. And so you'll hear steel drums and cowbell and an SATB choir, a full choir, singing this Kyrie.
first factor then is the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. Another factor is that in the 1960s and then further into the 1970s, proliferation of recordings um, started to circle the globe. So all of a sudden, whether it's in pop music, in fact, that's where it came first, uh, or in classical music or in music for the church, all of a sudden we could hear music from around the world that we had never known about. So the, just the recording technology becoming um, so ubiquitous allowed that to happen. A third factor then is what we call the hymnal explosion of the 20th century. And uh, this has several prongs to it. One is the contemporary Christian music that we uh, hear still that has the accompaniment of a rock style and a rock band, as well as um, global music. And synonymous with uh, global music in the church is world music in secular music. Those are just two different terms that tended to take places in, in those genres. But global music and world music are the same thing. Um, so we're going to listen now to an example of a piece of contemporary Christian music that actually came from England, where this movement is still alive and well in one wing of the Anglican Church. And this is an early example of contemporary praise music from England called Lord, the Light of Your Love. is the effect that missionaries had um, on indigenous Christian music. In the 19th century, missionaries uh, from the West usually took Western harmonic music and translated them into the languages of the people. But in the 20th century, missionaries, many of them, realized that the music of the people, the indigenous music of the people they served, could actually be the basis for Christian song. And so several missionaries, especially in African countries, wrote down the music that the African Christians were singing by rote and wrote it down in written form so that it could be sung by others. African song is an oral tradition, so the music wasn't in written form, and it was really the contribution of missionaries who wrote that down. So those are the four 
big contributing factors to why it is that global music has such a large place in the church today. Um, there are several, also several musical innovations that come in with global music. And one is um, something that I just really mentioned a moment ago in that that missionaries bringing Western four-part harmonies and taught those to their communities then got combined when indigenous song was then accepted and um, approved in the church. And we call this a hybrid that many African songs especially combine Western four-part harmonies and indigenous song. So these are hybrids. These really have two different musical sources, one Western and one African or whatever culture is being um, recognized there. So hybrid is one innovation. Another innovation is that different kinds of musical forms that were not um, normalized in Western singing, particularly the use of call and response, that a leader calls out a line and the community answers it in order to complete it. And what this does is allows then for an interactive relationship between a leader, cantor, or pastor, who's ever leading the song, and the people. A third innovation is the use of the body, that um, having internal percussion, whether it's dancing as you sing, or stamping your feet, or um, tapping, or clapping, is that it's integral to the sound of the song. So you're not just adding it for fun, but it actually is part of the song. And you'll hear this now in an example from a song called Procession, and it's uh, meant to be in walking in to a service. And the shuffling of the feet that I hope you can hear on the recording is actually part of the song. This comes from the Cameroon. The words are praise, praise, praise the Lord. So it's an entrance praise song and incorporates this little foot shuffle into its music. Fourth innovation is the use of non-Western scales. So the Western scales depend mostly on major and minor scales, but other cultures will use pentatonic, which means five notes in a scale, or hexatonic, or octatonic, or other things for their primary source of notes. And this is um, for Western ears an innovation. And then a final music innovation is that for Westerners, Western classical music, harmony is really the driving force of the music. In the other cultures we're going to look at today, it's not harmony, but sometimes rhythm or sometimes melody that often dominates as the primary factor in the music. And so it's listening to the music from a different perspective and also leading it in a different perspective. Mm -hmm. 